Welcome, and thank you for joining us Inside the Vocal Majority, a podcast featuring members of one of the most accomplished and respected choruses in the world. This is the third in a series of podcasts which will include stories and music spanning our almost 50-year history. Our plan is to bring you additional podcasts periodically on the Vocal Majority website, vocalmajority.com, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the first two podcasts that we did featured musical director Greg Clancy in conversation with Anthony Bartholomew, a uh, Barbershop Harmony Society judge, arranger, and member of the vocal majority. I'm Nick Alexander, a 40-year member of the chorus and voice of the vocal majority, and in this podcast, I'll be interviewing Jim Clancy, executive musical director. This episode is entitled Secret of Christmas, and we'll talk about Jim's experiences and why Christmas is so special to him. So, welcome Jim Clancy, Thanks, good to have Dick. you here. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Good to see you, man. You know, I know that you had a chance to listen to the two previous uh, episodes, podcasts that we did with, with Greg, who is, of course, your son. So what do you think about this new technology about podcasts and the stories that he shared? I think it's amazing. I think this new technology gives us an opportunity to further our mission, which is brightening the lives of people, Nick. Mm-hmm. Now we can bring our music to so many more people and perhaps add a little harmony around the world. We've been told there's a healing power in our music. It can bring peace and comfort to those in need. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago Greg, and that he has shared some of his early memories and what Christmas means to him. I wonder, can you tell us what Christmas meant to you growing up as a boy and how that shaped the way you feel about Christmas today? Well, I'll tell you, I loved everything about Christmas. I mean, birthdays were great and a lot of fun, but Christmas was the ultimate. I mean, to me, it was magical. I mean, I thought Santa Claus was right up there with God. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I think Dad had to straighten me out on that and get things Probably straight. Probably so. But I'm serious. But anyway, um, I, I had some wonderful Christmas memories. One is not so lovely, Nick. When oh, really? I was seven years old, now this is in the middle of the Second World War, it snowed in Shreveport, Louisiana. But we got a snow, and it, it maybe snowed a little every four years in, in Shreveport. I was going to say it's so, not typical for— Oh, boy. Yeah. And all the kids ran out and played in the snow. So there I went, you know. I wasn't feeling good that day. I didn't know what was wrong, but I just felt kind of ill or something. But yeah. I went out and built to help build a snowman and got a little wet trying, driving, you know, sliding down a hill in a makeshift sled and all of that kind of stuff. But I started feeling so bad, man. I, I said, I better do something about this. So anyway, I went in the house. I said, Mom, I think I'm sick. Mom came over and put her hand on my forehead and gasped. She said, come here. She got up the thermometer, and uh, I had fever 105. Wow. 105, man. Scared her to death. Anyway, she called our MD, Dr. Strain, who, by the way, brought my sister and me both into the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, she called him and uh, told him what was going on. He said, I will meet you at the hospital in, uh, as soon as you can get there. It's about a five-minute drive. Mom probably made it in three. You know what I mean? She <laughs> yeah. was she was shaking. Sure. She was so nervous. Sure. And I was starting to get just dizzy by that time, Nick. But anyway, we got to the hospital, and uh, Dr. Strain uh, was there waiting for us. He put me in an examining room, took my temperature. It was, uh, it was 105. Uh, he didn't say it, but he just took my temperature and felt my throat a little bit, motioned the mother to follow him. They went in the next room. Mom came back and she was crying. And I found later that found out later that the doctor had told her that he wasn't sure I was going to make it. 
He said, if you'd been here any later, there would be no way. He said, what we can do now, there is uh, an experimental drug that has been uh, have, has been given as a treatment to mm-hmm. a very few people here. This was, like I said, in the middle of the Second World War. And, so uh, what he was said, that, some kind of a, like an early yeah, antibiotic? Yes, it was an antibiotic. It's called, you'll know, penicillin. Sure. Okay. So uh, I got a shot. Uh, that honestly, that needle felt like a ten penny nail, Nick, and my soft little behind. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then through that night, and this was Christmas Eve. Did I mention that? Well, you said I thought I, whether it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, so it was Christmas Eve. It was Eve. Christmas Eve. Okay, it was Christmas Eve. So anyway, through the night, whenever I'd get a shot, like every three or four hours, um, they would give me some some little gift. You know, but uh, just a little something, but just something to kind of reward me for my bravery. I was scared to death. (laughs) But anyway, until the next, finally, I I got some sleep. I woke up the next morning. I don't know what time it was, probably 9 or 10. Mom was there with my dad and my sister, Jane. And uh, how you feeling, buddy? And I could hardly talk. I felt so weak. Mm-hmm. Just felt so weak. I'd never felt like that in my life. But anyway, um, so that's Christmas morning then. This is Christmas morning, right. yeah. And there was my family with me in the hospital, you know. But um, anyway, Dad, will he said, "Oh, buddy, I tell you," he said, "Santa Claus came by last night, and left you a little something." Good. I said, well, really, I couldn't be too excited the way I felt. But anyhow, he's got a little package he left here for you. You want to see what it is? Well, there was one thing I wanted more than anything in the world, anything material anyway. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what it was in a minute. But anyway, so once you open this package, I opened the package up. It was a brand new, beautiful, shiny Red Ryder BB gun. (laughs) (laughs) You'll shoot your eye out. I'm seven years old. There's no way without this near-death experience that I would have gotten a BB gun. I'd ask for one. I'd beg for one for like the last year. But... uh, Anyway, here I was with a brand-new BB gun. So anyway, when we, when we got home, I was in the hospital about another week. We finally got home, and Dad had uh, kind of put some stuffing in a toe sack, hung it on the wall across from my bed, put a paper target on it, and I could practice my shooting on that BB gun. On that. Well, I was in bed for almost another week. By the time wow. I got out, I was crack shot, buddy.
question for you. I've been in the VM for 40 years. Uh, in fact, just wrapping up my 40th year. You have arranged so many of the VM Christmas songs, you know, probably enough that we could fill up, you know, four or five two-hour shows with them without ever repeating a song. Uh, do you have any idea how many arrangements you've done? Wow, Nick, that's a real good question. I'll tell you what, I've done two, or two, three, sometimes four, Every year for since we've been doing Christmas shows, what's that, 30 years or so, something like that? I think the first Christmas show, and that was the one where the VM didn't have enough repertoire to do all Christmas. So the yeah. first half was regular repertoire, yep. and then the second half was Christmas. And I was in the audience for that one. Uh-huh. That was in December of 79. Oh, my, okay. And well. it was following that that they were talking to guys out in the lobby. They asked me if I sang, and yep. I said, well, not since high school, but, you know, around the piano or whatever, and they said, why don't you come out? And I showed up in January of 80. So that Christmas show, when the VM did their first Christmas. Oh, Peter, and here you are. And and here I am. (laughs) So anyway, so you've done, what, two to four songs a year. So do the math, yeah. Since 79, 89, 99, 99, 09, that's 40 years. Yep. Wow. So that's even more than I thought, Nick. Even more than I thought. You know, the first one I ever did, I think, as I recall, uh, was the Lord's Prayer. Now, that you don't think of that really as a Christmas song, but it was on our very first album, that Secret of Christmas album we did. The Lord's Prayer was on that. I oh. think I was a teenager when I wrote that. I wrote it for a little, <clears throat> pardon me, for a little quartet of mine. But uh, one of the more popular ones more recently is one called Believe mm-hmm. <clears throat> from the Polar Express. Right. When that came out, Judy and I took Jack and McKay to see Polar Express. I mean, they were like, oh, holy... Three and five, something like now, that. Jack and McKay are Jack Greg's and, kids, so Jack they're your grandkids. Kids, yeah. Okay. So we took them to see. I think Judy and I enjoyed it more than they did. Said, "What a wonderful movie! What great music! Believe!" And then we really kind of turned me on, man. I said, "What a wonderful song! I just loved it." And then when Josh Groban recorded that and came out with it, he had a hit single on it. Uh, I decided then, boy, this is one of the choruses got to do. You have everything you need. 
you're talking about arranging when you get an idea for a song like believe or any song that you want to do what is your process how do you begin the arrangement i mean are you do you sit at a piano do you do you do it on ukulele uh, <laughs> <laughs> no don't do it four on, string you why not so uh, what, what is your process to to do an arrangement well first you have you have to start with a good song I mean, you're going to write, a, it's going to be in a good arrangement. It has to start with a good song. Mm-hmm. So, And then you don't compete with the composer. You try to enhance his song. Uh, one of the things I ask myself is usually, how would the composer feel about this arrangement I'm writing? And uh, hopefully it's usually, he would like that. But anyway, uh, the song just kind of runs around in my head for maybe several days or so. Uh, the first day I may get here like 70% of it, but the rest of it with some cool chords and things just takes some time. But it rolls around in my head, you know, and uh, in fact, even at night, if I'm sometimes when I wake up at 3.30 in the morning, a particular change that really turns me on, I can hear the chorus singing this. As the chorus go by, I don't just think of chords. I hear the chorus singing those chords always. It's always that way. And I can see the chorus. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing the arrangement, it's like in black and white. But when I'm visualizing the course, it's always in color. Seriously, it's beautiful. Wow. And, and their singing is just, oh, it's heavenly. It's just so wonderful because I can hear it without any mistakes. Of course, so, when I turn that to, into them and then they have to learn it, I have to be very patient for them to reach that level. So you hear us singing a finished product in your head before Absolutely. we've ever even seen the chart. Absolutely. I hear it all in my head. Even it comes with the interpretation. You know, the whole thing. I hear, finally, before I give it to the guys, I've heard it all interpreted. I've heard a final you know, performance of that song. But um, Now, do you use a piano or anything like that, or is it all just scribbling The only out? time I do is just to go over and plunk something out just to hear it. But I don't play piano. So I can, you know, I can hear it in my head, really, without any mistakes, once I decide uh, on the chords, you know. Every now and then, I'll have a choice. There are always choices, but choice like between two chords and I'll say, Judy, I want you to listen, listen to this. <clears throat> she always knows what's coming. Do you like this? Dom mm-hmm. Or do you like da-da-da-da-da? You know, another yeah. little slight change. Play it again. Okay, listen now. <laughs> and then, or? Or this one. Hmm. 
And so she what do you like? It. I said, I'm asking you. Well, I really like the first one. I said, me too. And that's it. It's all, invariably, it's the one I was leaning toward anyway. The fact that you hear all of this in your head reminds me of Tom Merriman, who has orchestrated a lot of the songs that we have done through the years. And Tom Merriman was another person who would sit down with his number two pencil and scribble out orchestra arrangements yes. with no pitch yes. pipe, no piano, no nothing. I mean, he heard every bit of it in his head. Talk about a little bit uh, some of the songs that we have done with some of his arrangements and, and how you work that process. Funny you would mention that. When, when I decided to do one particular number, uh, a number that uh, <clears throat> Bing Crosby had a big hit with this, and you can tell me as if having been a DJ how popular this song was. I'm speaking of White Christmas. Oh, sure. And when I decided to do that, I said, rather than just make that one a cappella, wouldn't it be beautiful to have some of Tom's beautiful orchestration backing that up to really, just really try to make it wonderful? So I asked Tom, you know, if he would do that. He said he would love to. He said, what, what feel do you want? Do you want to, like, kind of joyful or cheerful or just whatever? Or, or do you want nostalgia? I said, that's it. Mm -hmm. I want it nostalgic for sure. If you'll listen to the first few bars, I think eight bars of that, his intro, you got the oboe, which is the most nostalgic instrument, I think, known to heaven. But uh, it starts with that oboe solo for that first eight bars. And by the time we start singing, the guys are already enraptured and totally in the mood to sing it beautifully. It always works. Let's listen to White Christmas. Ooh, I'd love to hear it again. Yes. 
You talked about when you were seven years old and, and spending Christmas in the hospital, and we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the arrangements that you've done. The most recent one that you've done is a song called Somewhere in My Memory. And within that song, there is a lyric that refers to remembering the magic of Christmas as a child. Yes. Ta- ta- yes. Where did that song come from? You know, that's from, you remember that movie Home Alone? Oh, yeah, with Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it came from that. I didn't know that, but when I was looking, uh, looking up the song, uh, I saw that it was from that movie. It surprised me. But I really like that. I like what it's about, uh, about memories, like you say, even childhood memories and everything. I decided to go ahead and arrange that you know, for this show, and I think Chad, our producer, really liked the idea of doing that one. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did, and uh, looking forward to performing that for the first time on the Christmas show. Now, who wrote that? Who wrote the song? Uh, the great one. What's his name? John Williams. That's it, buddy. That's John, it. <laughs> John Mr. Williams. Mr. Movie Music. You know, he turned down one. I, did, I wasn't able to get one arrangement clear just to use. They said he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't allow that. So I was afraid that uh, he as the publisher might not allow this, but they did. They did clear it, and I'm so glad they did. I love the song, and I hope the arrangement does it justice. It's a beautiful song. Here's Somewhere in My Memory. Somewhere in My Memory, yeah. See 
There is one Christmas song that we, you know, we talked about the very first Christmas show that the vocal majority did back in December of 79. And the first Christmas song that you arranged for them has actually become uh, a staple and a tradition for the chorus. Talk about that a little bit, the, the one that we always use to close the show. Oh, my goodness. You would be speaking of... Uh, the Secret of Christmas. Of course. Oh, man. What a song. You know, it's so obscure. I've never found, talked to anyone else that's ever even heard that song from any other source. That, that's amazing. Such a good song. I looked it up, and sure enough, it was another Bing Crosby song. Of course, not anywhere near the hit that White Christmas was. Right. But uh, just the, the chords... Uh, and the melody just lend themselves very well to well, our... Well, and the message. Mm -hmm. The message is so good. Yeah. Oh, the message is unbelievable. I mean, you know, going through the song and talking about all the beautiful, wonderful things about Christmas we love so much, but those are not really the secret. The secret being, it's not the things you do at Christmas time, but the Christmas things you do all, all year, year round. round. Yes, yes that's right. How it's beautiful. True. I think... It's a perfect way to close the show, and one of my favorite things is when we invite the emeritus men, the men that at one time sang in the chorus, right. to come up and sing that with us to end the show. Wow. That's one of my favorite moments, too, because I'm usually offstage gathering them all together so that we can come out and do that, and it's a very special time, even just when all the guys come up and we get to shake hands and see everybody again, so that's yeah. wonderful. When this song that I think you're introducing right now first came out, uh, we had just been up to Oklahoma. And I uh, had sung up there, I think it was for one of the Southwest District things, but we put on a show and Judy was there. And uh, she heard the VM and just brought her to tears. She loved that music so much. And after the show, she told me that. I saw her, I don't think I'd ever really talked to her before, mm -hmm. but uh, I saw her and she told me how much she enjoyed it, how much it meant to her. And I could tell it wasn't just a compliment for the music, but what she was saying was really from the heart. And I could tell she really meant it that way. So when I got back, we had just finished recording, made doing that wonderful recording, so I sent that to her. And uh, it just, I think the words of that and looking at that really, that's when we really started connecting, Nick. And that was the beginning of a long, wonderful, beautiful relationship. And that was the secret of Christmas? That was the secret of Christmas. I was just thinking, since that was a, such a wonderful way to end the show every year, maybe it's a good way to end this little episode. I think you're right. <laughs> May
Jim, thank you so much for being on this podcast, and I wish you and Judy a very Merry Christmas. I have thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope you and Barbara have an absolutely beautiful Christmas. Thank you. And that wraps up our third podcast episode, Inside the Vocal Majority, Jim Clancy's Secret of Christmas, a conversation with Jim Clancy, Executive Musical Director. Be sure to watch for future podcasts at our website, vocalmajority.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to like us on our Facebook page so you can get the latest news about future podcasts, performances, videos, and new music releases. And our music is available for purchase at our website, vocalmajority.com. Until next time, I'm Nick Alexander. Thanks for listening.